Lord, help us to see truly how great and magnificent uh, your word declares that you are. Lord, just open our eyes this morning to see that clear picture. We thank you for your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, family church. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're working through the book of Ephesians. And um, a couple of reasons. There's a lot of reasons why we encourage you to have your Bible. Um, But one main really practical reason is everything that I'm going to be saying this morning is coming right out of Ephesians chapter 4. And if you don't have your Bible, it's going to be very boring for you. Um, Because you're just going to be looking at me talking and you're not going to see the verses. So we encourage you every morning, grab your Bible Otherwise, it's going to be really easy to just zone out and and lose track. This helps us stay focused. That's just one, one reason why we encourage you. But we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be working through a lot of verses today, beginning in verse 7. It says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who has ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that you may speak to us. Your word is powerful and effective. God, we have been given so much in your word. God, we pray that we may... um, just have ears to hear what you want us to hear. May you encourage us this morning in your word. May you confront us, break us in areas we need to be broken. God, I pray that you may speak through me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in verse 7, there's a couple of words there that I want us to go back to and look at. And those two words are, but grace. But grace was given to who? To us in the church. Last week, we had Pastor Tully and Chavidjan come and share an incredible message on God's grace. And breaking down what grace really is, is God's unmerited favor that we didn't deserve. And when we understand that grace, when we understand not just the grace and love God's given us, but our brokenness, our sinfulness, that in every way possible we sinned against God, we broke His commandments, we continue to do so, but God looked upon us and had grace. He looked upon us and showed mercy. It changes everything in our life. And I don't want us to skip over in verse 7, because so many times when we read through God's Word, we can just skip over. Grace was given. It wasn't earned. It wasn't deserved. It was given. When we understand that truth, as we're going to see this morning, it changes everything. We, we sang the song this morning, All I Have is Christ. And a lot of times, I think when we sing songs, we don't really think of the words we're saying and we're proclaiming to God. And I encourage us, every time we come to worship, think of what you're saying. Think of what you're singing. Think of the things you're saying, I commit to God. And actually mean those things. I want to just read through the song that we sang this morning and just listen to what it is us proclaiming to God. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. Sin had promised joy and life, but it led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. If you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. I ran my hell-bound race. Indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to your cross. Beheld God's love dismayed, 
you suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see, but the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. O oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. Let my song forever be that my only boast is you. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. We sing these songs of what we were living, and this is exactly our life. We were running to the things of hell, running to the things that ensnared us, that promised joy. We ran to those things only to find out they never could offer true happiness. And God steps in and shows us and redeems us and gives us grace. When we understand grace, it changes our relationships. It changes the relationships we have with our children. It changes the relationships we have with our spouse. It changes how you talk to one another. It changes how you listen to others talk to you. Have you ever heard something and you took it the wrong way? Right? It changes that you're now looking at others and you're thinking the best of them. When you understand grace and that God, God has given you so much grace, it changes every relationship in your life and how you look at circumstances. Circumstances are no longer against you or for you. They are all for God's glory and He can work in the midst of what you're going through right now. To grow you and to grow his kingdom and to accomplish his purpose. That's what happens. So how does grace, this grace we're talking about, this grace Tullian talked about last week, how does that become a reality in our lives this morning? That's a question that I want us to answer. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is a verse, um, I meet with a group of men where we're going through one-to-one discipleship, and it is a... 10-week course that turns into about six months most of the time because we meet on a variety of things. And this is a verse that we've decided we are going to memorize. So we memorized it last week and we just encourage our families to come alongside and memorize this verse as well. So I encourage you, this would be a great memory verse for you to memorize. Encourage you and your family to memorize the verse. But the verse says, all scriptures God breathed. And it's given for a couple of purposes, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God or the woman of God may be equipped for every good work, is what the verse says. Which means everything we need in life to be equipped to live a godly life is found where? Right, right here in Scripture. Everything. Everything we need. And that's going to be a principle application this morning for us to understand. And it leads us to point number one, if you're taking notes. Understanding grace leads to students of the Bible. It leads us to be students of the Bible. When we understand grace, we are wanting to dig into what God has told us about himself. He's told us about us. He's told us about life. When we understand this grace, it encourages us to be students of the Bible. Now, growing up in church, I was always encouraged to read the Bible, but I never understood grace. So, reading the Bible and doing my quiet time and going to church, I did those things out of a works-based religion. I wanted to do those things for the right reasons, and I didn't have the right reasons to support doing those things. And that's a lot of times what Christianity has made this all about, is we emphasize what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Just as Tullian spoke last week, And then we think that that is what gives us our status or our accomplishment in Christ. But that's not what fuels us. 
What fuels us is understanding grace. When we understand grace, we're going to want to be driven to the scriptures more and more. When you begin to taste grace, you begin to see God's correction in your life, the discipline in your life. You begin to thank him for that. You begin to love others differently and you begin to become students, a student. And I want to ask you, are you a student of God's word? Would you consider yourself a student of his word? As in you're striving to learn more and more. That's what we should be as followers of Jesus Christ. I want us to turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. And beginning in verse 11, we're going to see a couple of things that God has given the church. He's given the church a couple of things. In verse 11, it says this, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And I want to break these couple of things he's given to the church in two categories. The first category is the apostles and the prophets. Apostles and the prophets. A couple of weeks ago, you learned about the apostles and the prophets and what they do, what they don't do. And I'm just going to give a recap. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built upon the foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So what we saw a couple of weeks ago is the apostles and the prophets were part of building up of the Bible. The prophets, the Old Testament, the apostles, the New Testament, it's founded on Jesus Christ. So in summary, what has been given to us is the foundation of the church, which is Jesus Christ found in the scriptures. So these scriptures are completed, which means that we no longer have a need for what some religions would call a modern-day apostle or a modern-day prophet, meaning that there are people on earth today who can stand and give new revelation of God. We don't believe such things, but there are very many even Christian sects that believe that there are modern-day apostles and there are modern-day prophets. So we believe God has given us everything we need to know already found in His Word. So those were the things God gave the church in the past that we're still using in his word today. I want us to look for a couple of other things. It says he also gave us evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And we see later in scripture that Paul combines these offices to evangelist and then pastor. Evangelist and pastor. Pastor Fernando is what many would call an evangelist. He's a church planter. And he's on staff here at the church, planting churches, growing churches around the world. And then you also have a pastor that's in the local body, which is what Terry and I are. And we're going to look because it says God gave the church, he gave you, and any church you may be a part of, a pastor or pastors to do some things. So we're going to take a look at some of these things, beginning in verse 12. What is the purpose of a pastor in a church? Well, verse 12 says this, to equip the saints for the works of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So my job, or Terry's job as a pastor, is to do what? Equip who? Okay, the saints, which is you. Okay, so our job is to equip the church, which is the saints, and those people are you. And why does God want us to equip saints? What does it say there in the text? You got to talk louder here. 
for the works of ministry, okay? So God wants us to equip the saints, which is you, for the works of ministry. So who, whose job is it in church to actually do the work of the ministry? The churches. And for a long time, it's, it's been put on those in staff or the pastors of a church when actually Scripture says it's our job to teach the body and the body to go out from this place and do the work of ministry. And that's actually how it's supposed to be. So the, the brunt of the burden of responsibility to do work of ministry is on the body, which I'm part of. We're all supposed to go out and do these things. This is one reason why we offer core classes. We have women's ministry that meets. We have men's ministry. We offer one-to-one discipleship. For those of you who want to grow in your relationship with someone else and also dig into the Word of God, we offer one-to-one discipleship. We're also offering a biblical counseling certification. How many of you know somebody who is struggling in life? Okay? Struggling in different areas? You can be equipped and come alongside of them. We want to equip all of our church members to become biblical counselors. How awesome would it be to be a church to where every now and then we can just open up our doors and say we're offering free counsel to anyone in the community in need. Those are some things we want to do. That's why we want to be equipped to do some of these things. So how does God desire us to do these things? Well, we've seen so far from the text... That we don't have to wonder what God wants for us. You know, I feel like sometimes in the Christian life we think that God is some mythological slot machine and we're trying to figure out his will, but we can't really figure out what it is. Um, sadly to say, my wife and I watched the movie, which we knew it was going to be really bad um, and unbiblical, but we watched the movie that came out recently, Noah. And One of the things in the movie that they talk about, I don't know if you've seen it or not, um, but it has Noah and and he's trying to figure out God's will. And and he's asking God, and then he's coming up with his own conclusions all the time about what what God wants him to do. And so it's always 180 degrees different from the biblical story of what God wanted him to do, except for building a boat. That's the only thing that really they got right. But he's like coming up with all these conclusions. And then he asked God, and he prays to God and he says, God, show me. And then he, he sees something and then he, he takes it upon himself that God answered when God didn't answer at all. You know, and they made God out silent and him out trying to figure out God's will. Biblically, what has God said to us? All the situations you're facing in your life, God is not silent in. He's actually given you his word And he wants to tell you, listen, I have a son. I don't want my son to grow up not knowing what his father thinks of him. I don't want my son to not know the direction or different things if he comes and asks me a question. And it's the same with you and God. God doesn't want you wandering saying, what what does God really want me to do here? Many times he's given you an answer. I know for my life, there's been a lot of instances where I've prayed and I've prayed for an answer And come to find out, I didn't need to pray at all because God had already given me like a clear indication in his word of what I needed to do. And so we should be in prayer always about all things, but there's some things that we should just know because we're students of the word. And so this is why we want you to be equipped. And many times it's very simple what he wants you to do. It's not easy always, but very simple many times that he wants you to do. 
And so many of you raised your hand. You, you know somebody who's struggling either financially, spiritually, in their marriage, in their relationship with their kids. Something's going on. Maybe that person is you. And so I want to ask the question, how do you help them? Who do you think God wants to use to help them? That's a good question. He wants to use you. And put yourself in that situation. God wants to use you to help those other individuals who are struggling. What do you feel when you think of that? Unequipped, right? Inadequate, unknowledgeable. Maybe you don't feel like you know enough. What if they ask me this question? Maybe you're thinking, well, I struggle too, or my marriage isn't perfect, or I have these problems also. Or who am I to help other people when I have issues going on in my own life? Well, I want to encourage you. God does want to use you. That's why you're called to be equipped. But I want to give you some encouraging information, which is point number two. Point number two is you are inadequate. That's good news, but God is sufficient. You are inadequate, but God is sufficient. So in these situations God is putting you in, where you're up against somebody who is struggling in something, or maybe it's you who's struggling. Listen, you are inadequate, but God is sufficient. And he's not left you alone. He's given us his Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, living inside of you is God's Holy Spirit. And you have his word that is strong, that it is powerful. If you came this morning and you're looking to me or to Terry or any other pastor that you may listen to or you watch or whatever it is, if you're looking to that person to change your life, to encourage you, to provide something for you, you should have slept in this morning because there is nothing, listen, there is nothing I can do to help any of you this morning except for present the word of God. That's it. That's it. And, and there's a lot of scriptures that talk about this. Unless God works and speaks through his word, Ephes, or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, listen, listen to what it says. For the word of God is living. It is active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is powerfully strong, which is why we need to be equipped in it. Listen to what Paul said when he was struggling in life. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And then Paul sums that up and says, when I am weak, then I am strong. This isn't a secret recipe that to be strong in life, you have to be weak. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, when you understand how weak you really are, and you become broken, and you look to God and say, God, I am nothing without your word. I am nothing without you working in my life. That's when God steps into your life and begins to use you. That's, that's the recipe God is not looking to use people who think they have it all together. God is wanting to use people who are imperfect, who understand the last point, that you are broken, you are inadequate. And there are people around you, God is saying, I've put you in their life so that you can help them. And yes, you are insufficient, but that's why you need to rest and rely on me. That's what we do with his word. So I want to give a summary here. 
God has given the church pastors. Pastors are called to equip the church. The church, you, the saints, are to go out and do the ministry in lives. You are inadequate, but God is sufficient. So what does a pastor's job look like? Well, in verse 13, it says a couple of things that why God has given pastors to the church. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So number one, attain perfect unity in faith. If, if we were perfectly unified in faith, we wouldn't need pastors. And this was kind of an encouraging thing to me in a weird, sick way, that every church needs pastors because every church is so broken, and I'm broken, and I'm inadequate, but God is using this. And it was just, you know, this is how God has designed it, that we are doing all of these things together, and one reason why there is the church and why there are different positions in different ministries. It says, when you, we all have a perfect knowledge of the Son of God. When that's done, there won't be a need for pastors anymore. Well, that is not accomplished because we can learn about God forever. We can learn about the person of Jesus Christ. It says, when we're mature Christians, Christian maturity, when we've actually become a mature Christian, well, that is going to continue until the end of our lives. And then it says, to the full measure of Christ. These are some reasons why we grow together. And it says that God has given the church pastors. So in summary, a pastor's job in a church will never be finished until God brings the church home or brings that pastor home. And so that is something that why it is weak, we have to be remaining in him. Verse 14 says why these things are important. Some of you may be thinking, why is any of this important? This doesn't seem to be helping in real life. Listen to verse 14. So that we, the church, may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness, or deceitful schemes. When you're equipped with the truth, it changes everything. God wants you equipped so that when you face circumstances in your life, you know the right answer. You know how to deal with them. He doesn't want you tossed about because you're not sure what God wants in this situation. He doesn't want that for his children. And there is nothing, for example, what we've learned so far, no modern day apostles, no modern day prophets. What does that mean for us? Well, if there's no such thing as new revelation, that means no one, none of you could ever tell me anything about God that I don't already have. That's what that practically means. That is vitally important for us to understand. That means no one can come up to you and say, hey, this is what God says about this, without you actually being able to check what God's Word actually says about it. That is huge for us to understand. I have everything I need to know about life, about godliness, about heaven, about hell, about myself, about God's character, about what he wants me to do in this situation, about how he wants me to raise my children, about how he wants me to discipline my children, about the kind of work ethic he wants me to have, how he wants me to spend my money. It's all right here. And if somebody comes and tells you something, you can go fact check it with God's word. That's what it means practically that there is no such thing as modern day apostles or modern day prophets. And for example, I've seen in the area Latter-day Saints 
going around door to door. Maybe they've knocked on your door. Just, the other, just last week, I saw them traveling around. They believe they have access to new revelation from God. They believe there are such things as modern-day apostles, modern-day prophets. Well, as Christians equipped, we have an answer for that. And we can give them that answer. Truth stops here. The same with the Roman Catholic Church. Many don't know this, but the Pope actually keeps responsibility, and they reserve the right, they've stated, that they reserve the right to come on behalf of God himself and speak on behalf of God. The Pope reserves that right. And they've done it in centuries past from time to time. Not any time recently, but in centuries past. And, and what, for example, if the Pope stood up and said, I want everyone to live godly Christian lives. Is that from God? Well, we, we find it in his word, right? So we can say, amen, that's good. God didn't have to tell you that to tell us that. It's in his word already. What if he stood up and said, there's no such thing as hell. And sin, everybody sins, God's forgiving it all. If he says that on behalf and he's saying he's doing it on behalf of God, we can say time out here. God's word doesn't say such things. And regardless of if you believe in different giftings and speaking in tongues or any of those things, everything always comes back to his word. That's huge for us to understand. I had a phone conversation, and this is where things, I hope, begin to really concrete for you. I had a phone conversation with somebody within our church a couple of weeks ago, and um, I called them, and they were they're struggling in their marriage. And they were saying, you know, I, I'm thinking through a couple of different things, and, and I'm not sure what God wants me to do, and I'm praying, and I'm seeking Him, and I'm not sure what He wants me to do, and they, they shared a couple of options, and one of the options they shared was divorce. And I was able to talk with them and say, listen, I can tell you that's not an option for a Christian. God's word says in the situation you're in, that's, that's not even an option. You can't even consider it as a Christian. And you know, when you say some things like that to people, you're not really sure if they're going to come and attack you or, or, or if it's going to hurt them, you know, because of the place they're in. But I, I can't forget what they said to me. And it was so encouraging. They said, you know... Thank you for saying that. They said, thank you for saying that. That God actually does care about my marriage. And that he does, have, he does have things that help guide me. And they were so encouraged by the ground rules. Saying, this is where your options are. These are no longer even options. Take them off the table. And they said, everybody in my family and so many of my friends from growing up, they're all getting divorces, and it just looked like the thing that was okay. Thank you so much for clearing that up. It's so encouraging to hear that God's word says, black and white, what I need to do and what I don't need to do, and I can rest assured in that. You know, and, and that's, that's the way we should look at some of these things, is God is trying to keep us safe in these different areas. And this whole concept, I mean, God wants you to know. And there's a lot of things we throw around in Christian church. For example, I don't know if you've ever heard this in, the, in church, but I know I have. Just wait until you have a peace about it. Have you ever heard anything like that? Like, don't do anything until you have a peace about it. What does that mean? Right? I mean, just wait until you have a peace about it. Until God shows his peace in your life about it. That's a very dangerous statement. For example... Do I wait until I have a peace 
in my relationships for apologies? When do I feel like really coming and submitting myself and saying, I was wrong for how I spoke to you? I mean, if I wait until I have a peace about it, I'm never apologizing, okay? I apologize because the Word of God says I need to submit myself, I need to honor my wife like Christ honors the church, and I need to submit myself and apologize and be quick to forgive, quick to be broken, okay? So I shouldn't wait until I have a peace about it. What about waiting until I have a peace about talking with somebody about Christ, Listen, if I had to wait until I had a perfect peace about sharing the gospel, I wouldn't share the gospel at all. And, and those are some things where, you know what, God's word already tells us. We don't have to wait until we have a peace about it. God says, go, I have commanded you. And so we have this battle all the time in our minds with things he has told us that if we were students of the Bible, we could see all these different options and we could pick through them and say, you know what, I have five options Two of these are unbiblical. They're off the table. I have three options left. And it automatically simplifies some of this decision making. I have three options left. You look at those. Well, two of these are going to honor God this way. One of these I think is going to honor God this way. Or it's going to do this. And it begins to simplify things. God doesn't want you wandering around in darkness. He's given you his word to equip you. Another thing is, God, if you want this to happen, please let me know by blank. How many of you have done that before? Like, I've done it a ton of times in my life, and we do it continuously. And sometimes we do really crazy things with this, like, God, if you want me to talk to this person about you, please just have them come up to me and say, Casey, it really seems like something's different about you. It really seems like I just need to ask you what's different about you, and you're just going to tell me. I've never had that happen. Right? And we would come up with these circumstances where we, we ask God, God, if you want me to do this, or if you want me to do that, or if you want me to do this in my business, just make that happen. We don't find that anywhere in Scripture where it's commanded that that's a good thing to do. That's allowing ourselves to be led by circumstances. And, and many times, not every time, but many times God has already told us, you need to go do that, or you shouldn't do that. And sometimes he gives us freedom. Amanda and I have prayed about things and prayed about things and prayed about things. We never felt a peace about it. We never felt wrong about it. It was just nothing. We got nothing back. Well, God's saying, you know what? You can make the choice. You can do this. And if you do it that way or do it this way, just, you know, make the choice. Sometimes God gives us freedom in these situations. And so that's important for us to understand. One thing we need to be very careful of about this whole peace situation. I, Terry and I have sat down with many people, and all of us are capable of this, who feel, they, they say, I feel a comfort and a peace given by God about the situation. And it can be 180 degrees. Like they could be going and cheating on their spouse. I'm serious, okay? They could be going and doing the worst things and say, I just feel really good about my relationship with God right now and the direction I'm going. And we do this all the time, all of us in different little areas of, you know, I just have comfort with this. And it can be directly against the word of God. And the scary thing is they actually do have a comfort or a peace about it. And we can all do this. And, and when I'm, I'm hearing this, 
I'm not doubting their feelings of peace and comfort. I'm doubting the source of their feelings and peace of comfort. And we can all manipulate. I have everything in me that I need to manufacture false comfort and false assurance of anything. And you do too. And that's a scary thought. Which is why God has called us into church. And you need to have people in your life who will come alongside of you that when we do some things like that, that you've given them permission to say, hey, if you see a red flag in my life, you see some things that don't line up with Scripture, I'm giving you permission as my friend, as another man, as another woman, come and talk with me. I'm giving you permission to do that. That's what it means to be in a church. That's why we need each other. Because all of us have everything we need inside of us to produce false feelings, Or feelings that say, hey, this is good when it's really 180 degrees opposite from what God's word says is good. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. James 1.22, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We're all capable of being deceived. We're all capable of having good feelings about bad things. This is why we're in the church together. Look with me again in verse 15 in Ephesians. This is why this brings it all together. He doesn't want you to be tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine or belief, by human cunningness, by craftiness or deceit. But rather, in verse 15, speaking the truth in love. And I want to take a brief minute here and discuss the phrase, Speaking the truth in love because it is a big Christian cliche of, you know, I'm going to go talk to this person, but I'm going to do it in love. It seems like almost anything we add in love to, we really think is loving. Uh, How many of you have, have attacked somebody with something truthful, but you didn't do it in love, right? Probably all of us can raise our hand with that. It can be the most truthful thing, and we go and tell them the truth but it wasn't in love. So just because something's true doesn't mean it's loving. And just also because something's true doesn't mean we actually have a right to say it. That's something that's very important for us to all understand. I'd encourage you guys to go and read. I just wrote about this. Um, I started a website for the church body to help grow all of us. So when I'm reading through some of these things or thinking through. I just wrote some articles on biblical love, what really biblical love is according to Jesus and biblical love according, or biblical forgiveness according to Jesus. It's not what we've typically done of, I'm going to go tell this person what I think, but I'm going to do it in love. Scripture talks about that very, very clearly. So I want us to finish up verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, it goes on to say this, We are, as the church, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We, as a church, are called to be equipped. There are people in our community who are broken. Listen, there are people to your left and to your right who need you, hear me, they need you to be equipped with the Word of God because they need encouragement, they need support, they need love, and they may be deceived 
Listen, we're all deceived in different parts of sin. We're all broken in different areas. Scripture says sometimes we're even trapped in sin. We don't even know it and we're trapped. We need each other to be equipped. Become a student of the Word of God. Find some ways to get involved. If you want to learn how to get involved or how to grow, come talk with me. Fill out a connect card in front of you and just write, help me get involved or I want to grow and put your information. We'd love to to talk with you. Maybe you're not even sure if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen, he has done everything for you you could never do yourself. The sin that you've broken and continue to break, that you know if you stood before God you would be guilty of, Christ came and did something for that and set you free. Just like we learned last week, he's given you grace. He took God's wrath that was meant for you And he took it upon himself. What it means to be a Christian is that you acknowledge that. You come and you submit yourself to that. You give him praise for that. And then you begin to serve him and grow in that. That's what it means to be a follower of him. So we encourage you. Grow in that. If you have any questions, come and talk with us. Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you for your word. God, you have told us what to do in situations And we're thankful for boundaries. God, we're thankful. When we understand grace, we can be thankful for the rules. Because they save us from the sins that are trying to destroy us. But God, it's only through your grace that we can actually see what those things are. God, we thank you for coming alongside of us, dying for us, giving us grace which we don't deserve. God, I pray that we may become students of your word God, I pray for Terry and I that you may help us equip the church. And I pray for us as the church that we may go out and do ministry. May you put a burden on our hearts. Help us to ask the question, am I doing ministry upon a weekly basis? God, help us to grow in that. God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we completely dismiss, we've got a few announcements from your bulletin. Um, a couple of things. Hopefully you picked up a bulletin. A couple of things that we've got going on this week. Uh, first of all, immediately following the service this morning up in the fellowship hall, we're going to have a potluck. So if you brought some food, that's great. We'll meet you up there. If you didn't bring some food, you're still invited. We'll share. Okay? So go ahead and join us up there if you'd like. Uh, another, a few more items. Um, this coming Wednesday night. We have our family worship and prayer night, and uh, on the back page, we have a typo. Uh-oh. It says 6 o'clock, but it's actually going to be at 7 o'clock, so please make note of that. It's actually going to be at 7 o'clock, not 6. If you show up at 6, you'll probably catch us in the midst of worship practice, and that's fine. You can stick around and listen to that, but uh, anyway, it's going to be at 6, at, I'm sorry, at 7 o'clock. See, I've got myself all messed up. Family fun night is coming up. We've got a church-wide opportunity for us to all to get together and fellowship and have some fun. August 15th, 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, out at the Golden Gate Pool. Uh, if you haven't been out there, it's really neat because we get a chance to reserve the whole entire facility for this event. So there's lifeguards, there's staff there. And if you have little ones all the way down, there's a toddler pool all the way up to the teenagers and the young at heart can go on the water slides and the high dive, whatever you want to do. We're going to have some food out there. It's going to be a good time. So hopefully you can join us for that. The admission is $15 for that. Or 
as part of our um, one of our projects that's going on right now, we have a backpack drive going on. So if you bring a backpack, whether it has stuff in it or not, you can then, you'll be admitted to the uh, family fun night as well. All right, one more really important thing before we pray pray to dismiss. Um, The deacons have, one of the teams that the deacons have started is a prayer team. And so immediately following the service after we pray, if any of you would like additional prayer, personal prayer, something God's put on your heart, whatever the need may be, come on down to the front, and uh, the deacons, uh, uh, Damon and Carol Dumalele are going to be here, plus there will be some others. So if you'd like to come down for some prayer, that would be an awesome opportunity for you to do that. So let's go ahead and stand, and we'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for today. We praise you for your message from your word. Lord, help us to apply what we've heard this morning and help us to understand what it means to serve you and what it means to go back to your word in every in any occasion that we need to, that your word is our foundation, that the truth of your word is the rock that we can go back to. Lord, help us not to be drawn to and fro by the different temptations or the different things that can Appeal to us in the world, Lord, but help us to be grounded in your word. Guide us through your Holy Spirit to the answers that you have for us. And Lord, as we go out today, I pray that you would be with every one of us. Lord, help us to reach out to those around us with the love that you've provided to us, the gift that we don't deserve, the amazing salvation that we have, and the redemption that we have experienced, Lord. We thank you for this time. We praise you for this week. Praise you for all you provide. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed.